Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corker Foundation for Mental Health. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each episode, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We are sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. We've learned that hearing others speak openly and without shame about their experiences makes it easier to believe that depression is a common and treatable illness, not a personal failing. You really aren't alone. Today, we continue our discussion with Michael Landsberg, founder of the charity Sick Not Weak. We also revisit an email that we received asking for assistance on how to have a helpful, uncondescending conversation with a loved one about the potential benefits of meds, even when that person is, quote, proud of the fact that they don't need a doctor or medical help. For 18 years, Landsberg had a sports talk show on a Canadian equivalent of ESPN. He says it had never occurred to him to use his platform to discuss and promote mental health. Until one day, he asked a guest, a hockey player, if it would be okay to bring up the fact that the two of them both experienced depression. His guest agreed, and they briefly addressed their shared experience in the segment. The response that the station received, primarily from men who had been keeping their mental health struggles secret for fear of being considered weak, changed the course of Michael's life and his work. Today, he does what he's become very comfortable doing, speaking openly and shamelessly about his depression, medication use, and the lessons that he has learned from both his and others' journeys. Here now is Michael from a conversation we recorded a year ago, giving his voice to depression. This episode will be the normal length, but if you only have about 30 seconds, here's the Reader's Digest version. Okay, here goes. My name is Michael Landsberg. I suffer from an illness called depression, also anxiety. I have uh, I have been taken down by this illness. I have been left understanding why people take their own lives. I have given up years of my life to this illness that I will never, ever get back. I have spent time where I knew that I was living but not alive. I understood suicide. I'm on medication today. I will be the rest of my life. But you know what? I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. And most of all, I'm not weak. For a number of reasons, including pride and gender and work roles, no one wants to be perceived as weak. The first day I spoke about this on television, the next day, the reaction I got, one of them was from a guy who said, you know, my dad, and this is how he wrote it. My dad lived his whole life, um, you know, since I was young, he drank every day. We never saw him smile. We knew that he was that he was sick, but he said, men do not go to psychiatrists or psychologists, men suck it up and do their job. And he said, you know, my dad died five years ago, never got treatment, he said, and I'm my dad. He said, you know, until I heard someone talking about this without shame and embarrassment and without sounding weak, I always thought I can't be that person. But then you hear someone say it and it's like, hey, I don't care who knows, I want everyone to know. That's empowering to other people. 
One thing Michael wants everyone to know is that finding and taking the right meds is seldom a straight path from A to B. It can take a while to find an effective prescription or combination of prescriptions for your specific diagnosis and body. And there may be times you're on them and times you're off at your doctor's suggestion or by your own choice. 20 years ago, I went on medication uh, and medication helped me. I am one of the lucky ones who is treatment, the opposite of treatment resistant would be me. So I started on Prozac, uh, it, it helped me. Didn't cure me, it helped me. And then eventually I went off Prozac because I didn't like the side effects and it came back. And then I went on Zoloft and uh, I again, it made me better. And I got tired of the side effects, so I went off it again thinking, okay, Okay, well, maybe I don't need it anymore. And I think the brain forgets just how much pain you've experienced. Like the brain can't remember what pain felt like. You can remember thinking, oh my God, I felt terrible, but you can't relive it. And there's a big difference between imagining what it felt like and reliving it. So I kept going off it. The last time Landsberg went off meds was in 2008. And he says that was a mistake he won't repeat again. And then uh, eventually, the last time uh, I went off it, and I really was in a terrible position where uh, I uh, I talk about this, um, you know, November 24th, 2008, Marriott Hotel, Montreal, room 521, 4 a.m. in the morning. I was there sitting on the edge of my bed. I was working in Montreal uh, at a sporting event, and I thought, wow. I know why people take their lives. I was not really a danger to myself because I'd been through it before. But that's how far I had let myself slip, Terry. I had gone so far, so much in denial. And my wife had said, you have to go back on medication. You have to go back on medication. I said, no, I don't. I can do it without medication. So I started taking other medications like, you know, benzodiazepines, you know, Ativan or Valium. And, you know, that's a great substitute until you get addicted and you realize you got to use more and more and more. That was 12 years ago now, and I have not been off medication. I've been on uh, 20 milligrams of what you would call Lexapro mm -hmm. uh, and um, 300 milligrams, uh, 150 twice a day of Wellbutrin um, since then. Yeah. So, I have, so I have learned my lesson. Landsberg doesn't attribute that lesson to hard-earned wisdom, but rather to fear. I play it out. Okay, I go off the meds and that's great and side effects are gone and I'm feeling pretty good and then I relapse and then I wait too long and then I go back on medication and this time it doesn't work and I'm forced to live the rest of my life with the pain that I have felt in the past and that just scares the crap out of me. Neither we nor Landsberg advocate for antidepressants. We always say that people either swear by meds or swear at their mention. Rather, the point of a discussion like this is to challenge people who won't even consider them to make sure it's not stigma or misconceptions influencing that decision. But the biggest thing is medication. The people will deny themselves the access to medication because they don't believe in it. And they say those words without really knowing what the hell they're saying. They just have heard it before. I don't believe in medication. Really? What don't you believe in? You know, it's not like we're not talking about God here. We're talking about this pill that you take that might, 60% chance, make you better and give you your life back. Landsberg says another thing he hears a lot is that people don't consider meds because they believe they're going to change them. And it's like, it will change you. Right. But if you're sick enough, first right. of all, you want change. But second of all, the changes that it makes in you that you don't like are worthwhile 
And that's why I, I have the saying, which is you need to learn to love the thing that you hate the least. You need to learn to love the thing that you hate the least. So I hate my depression more than anything. I hate my medication too, but I hate it less than I hate the illness. So it's like, do I like being on meds? No. Do I wish I was off meds? Absolutely. But I'd rather be on the meds where I am right now than be back to where I was. So I have learned to love the thing that I hate the least. Interesting. I like that because people do. I hear it all the time. And all the time. They, they don't work for me. They, they numb me out. They'll take away my highs. I would give away my highs. I would give away my yeah. highs to, to not have my lows. You know what? Absolutely. To deal with the devil that I I refer to. I mean, this is the value of sharing, right? Is that, you know, people like us that have gone through this uh, a million different times in our own heads, it's played out like for me off medication five times. We have learned so much from that experience that you hope that you can help people uh, and not have them make the same mistakes that we have made because we've all learned by trial and error. And one of the mistakes that you make is that one makes is they take possible treatments off the table. Remember how we started this and last week's episode with the listener question about how to talk to somebody who's really struggling and resisting any treatment or help? Well, the concept of learning to love the thing you hate the least might be a key worth using to try to open the conversational door. It sure resonates with us. You know, Terry, anybody who denies, well, first of all, anybody who denies any form of treatment that has been approved, um, you know, is, is, has never experienced depression the way you and I have experienced it. Because if you've been down there, you tend to go, anything, anything, please just help me get out of this spot because I'm not living right now. I'll do anything to get better. And if you can't say I'll do anything to get better, then either you're ridiculously stubborn or maybe you're not as as sick as, as you and I were. Again, Michael puts that in the lessons learned column. But what about the more elusive realizations? What about do you have things that you know on either side, right? They, they, they help or things that you know make it worse, but you just can't seem to remember or access that you've already learned those lessons. You know, what, what, like, what mistakes do you keep making? And I hate to call it a mistake because that sounds judgmental, but. No, it, I mean, I would be the only one to determine their mistakes. I think my biggest mistake uh, I don't make nearly as often. I think that we have the ability to take a good day and make it into a bad day. And we do that by fearing the return of the bad day. So it's like, oh, I feel really good today. Oh, my gosh. You know, I can sit down and I can I can be creative and I can be the person that I want to be. I'm walking my dog and I come across someone who's walking in the other direction. And I I would always say hi when I feel good. And when I don't feel good, I'll try to find a way where I'm not crossing paths with anyone. And similarly, I can take a bad day and make it worse, or at least I could before by saying, okay, well, today's not good. And what happens if tomorrow is 
even worse. And worse still, what happens if the next day I continue to slide? Oh, my God, am I going back into the hole? Is my medication not, no longer working for me? Am I going to be where I was in room 521 of the Marriott Hotel? Oh, my God. Uh, so I have learned to, to um, prevent myself from making a bad day worse and from making a good day bad. And it's taken me a lot of years to realize that. So the slide. Um, you know, when you just said, you know, it's starting, it's you have your bad day and, and it can lead into, you know, a full fledged dip back into that pit. What are your warning signs? Uh, you know, the first warning sign is that my wife asked me if I'm okay. And typically I'll say, yeah, you know, I'm okay. You know, like even now, like I still deny it the first time I'm asked. Um, for me, the biggest is I stop talking. You know, like, which which is pretty obvious when you're a guy who tends to be, you know, the if not the loudest guy in the in the room, a guy who is amongst the loudest, but also amongst the, you know, people that ask a lot of questions of people. You know, I engage people. So it's it's when I need to either fake who I am, which is incredibly challenging. Uh, when I realize that I've lost confidence in myself, that's another sign about the slide. And when I retreat, when I search for ways to get away from people, not be with people, those are all um, pretty obvious markers for me that, um, that I need to deal with this. I know when I hear the phone ring or even a text come in, and if my immediate thought is, oh, my God, leave me alone, yeah. then I know. Right, because otherwise I'm like, who's that? You know, not always this is the perfect time for a call or a text, but I'm at least somewhat curious or I make a note when I'm not so busy, I'll have to check that. But it's not like, would you leave me alone? Yeah, That's exactly. That's a, it's a great way. You know, you look down and you go, no, nah, I'm not getting that. You know, it's yeah. like, ah, uh, no, I'm looking at my phone now. I'm going, nah, on a bad day, I'm not getting that. When you have those warning signs, what do you do? I mean, you're already taking your meds. So w what do you say? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I, I'm getting the tap on the shoulder. I'm feeling the slide. I'm, you know, the light's dimming. I can do A, B, and C, and it might help, does help, has helped in the past. I remind myself of how many times I have been in this position where I've had, you know, some good days and now I'm having a bad day and how it passes now that, you know, I'm on medication. There's no reason to think that it won't pass again this time. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you're on an airplane and there's turbulence. Because there's turbulence doesn't mean that you're going to crash. Just means that, you know, you've got these bumps that you've got to wait out and you've felt those bumps before. It didn't mean that, that we were crashing. I've been uh, living with my brain now for 12 years on the same medication, and I've had bumps before and bad days. It doesn't mean that I'm relapsing. And I think that is about the only thing I can do is to just be patient, to wait it out, uh, to not panic and not assume the worst. Michael just shared with us a really regular, vulnerable, honest, shared life experience. And that is my definition, the living definition of destigmatizing. It's not a word I'm like really like, and I think it sounds sort of technical or medical or something, and I think it's overused. But what Michael just did is destigmatizing because he's talking about it. He's talking to us about his experience, period period. And like us, you know, he's doing it without shame or embarrassment because 
as I said in the open, there are times I'm on meds and really, really needed to be. And there are times that I think it's safe with my doctor's agreement to, to go off of them again or to try going off. So it is just it's a medical condition that needs to be treated, and there are various ways to treat it. And uh, we will continue the discussion in particular about antidepressants next week with Michael in a second part of this interview. Yeah, I also appreciate that Michael's talking about his experience, but I get the impression it's not all of who he is. It's a part of who he is. And that turbulence metaphor, I mean, nobody likes turbulence, and it could be a really bad outcome, but at least from my personal experience, not very often. But that, that not knowing and that anxiety and fear, it's, um, it's all part of this, man. Mm-hmm. It is all part of this. So thank you, Michael. Um, as I say, we'll be back next week and really glad to be back to our weekly schedule. And I thank you, Bridget, for joining us. And we will hear from Michael next week. Uh, remember, if you have any questions, comments, story suggestions, whatever, givingvoicetodepression.com, upper left corner, you'll see a record button and you can record us your comments. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.